If you have a Bible, we're starting in Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. If you're new to this place, we're in a series about prayer. It's, it's called Teach Us to Pray. And the reason is, um, is we are a community that believes that in order to apprentice Jesus, in order to say yes to Jesus, that means orienting our lives around three things. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. And what the disciples realized, spending time with Jesus, was that everything that Jesus did came from a connected relationship with his Father. Connected relationship with God through prayer. And so of all the things that Jesus did, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, not how to heal, not how to preach, not how to do anything else. They asked him specifically, teach us how to pray. And we've been walking through this, the version of Matthew's story, and Matthew talks about one way um, to pray is uh, to find a formula to get God to do what you want him to do, and that's what he calls the pagan prayer. He also talks about this praying, praying way of the hypocrites, which is like puffing our way up in prayer and, and becoming uh, more religious. The third way and the way that really Jesus asks us to come into prayer is the way of approaching God as like a child does to his father. And so the first week we talked about the kind of an overview of things and we talked about that, that two-word phrase, our father, what that means. Last week we talked about in heaven, and today we're going to be talking about hallowed be your name. So let me read Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13. It says this, this then is how you should pray. This is Jesus. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That phrase, hallowed be your name, it's not a common word for us to use. To use the word hallow is just not very, we talk about this is hallowed ground or things like that. That's the only example I have. <laughs> to hallow something means to declare it holy, to declare it, to mark it off, to set it apart. To hallow something is the opposite of making something profane or common or ordinary, if that helps. And so we hallow things. Here's the thing. You and I hallow things all the time. Uh, for instance, shopping. Say you're shopping for a pair of shoes and you head into one of those giant shoe stores like a DSW and you walk in and there's thousands and thousands of pairs of shoes. Well, you probably go to one section or the other depending on if you're male or female and then you probably then narrow it down by size and style and all, of, all that kind of stuff. And then finally, you find a pair of shoes that fits that looks good, that's what you need, and you purchase those shoes. And ultimately what that is, is you are marking those shoes off. You are setting that pair of shoes aside. I know this is a really cheesy consumeristic metaphor. 
but you're setting those pair of shoes aside and those are hallowed. Why? Because they're yours. Now, what's interesting is, is what Jesus is saying is, may your name be marked off, holy, set apart, and consecrated. May your name be set apart and distinct. May your name not be ordinary or common. And so, what is this name that we're supposed to, as we pray, set apart, mark off as holy? What is this name in scripture? We're going to take a little Old Testament detour. Some of you guys love that Old Testament detour. Do you? Okay, good. So I heard something from you, and I didn't know if you were like cool with it. Excited. You're excited. Anybody else excited? So pumped over here. Exodus chapter 3. Understand something. Names in scripture have a whole bunch more meaning than they do for us. So our common names, um, when we name children, things like that, have a little bit different emphasis in scripture. Uh, They stood for much more than what people would call you by how you were known, your moniker. What names in scripture meant was much more about your essence, about who you were as a, at, at the deep core of who you are as a person. So, for instance, my name is Ryan. Hi. My parents, who are here, just so we know where we're going with this, They didn't name me Ryan because when they looked at me, they said there's a certain level of Ryan-ness emanating from him. Um, and, and, And he will live a Ryan kind of life. Um, that's not why they named me. You'll have to ask them why they named me that, but, and for a while I joke around, but when I was like in junior high, I wanted to be called Dean. Did I tell you this story before? I don't know, like, for like, for like a month, I was like, man, I wish my name was Dean. I don't know. I was in junior high. Anyway, yeah, it was, it was my angst. But in the ancient Near East, here's the thing. A name was more than a label. It was your identity. It was the, it was like the depth and the essential essence about who you were as an identity. It's more than a moniker or something you would put on a cup of coffee at the end of the Starbucks bar. It was much more than that. There's a biblical scholar named Michael Knowles, and he wrote this. He says, in the world of the Hebrew scriptures, a personal name was often thought to indicate something else about the bearer's identity, origin, birth, circumstances, or the divine purpose that the bearer was intended to, to fulfill. So there was something bigger about a name in the Old Testament. And so when we look at Moses, Moses has this encounter with God. Moses wants God, uh, God wants Moses to do some really radical things as far as the people of Israel and getting them freedom. And he meets God in this, um, in, in this face-to-face, so to speak, um, uh, relationship with this burning bush. And Moses says to God, suppose... 
I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So Moses is not asking, what can I call you by? That's not what Moses is asking. Moses is ultimately asking, God, will you reveal something, okay, about your character and about your essence so that I can go to the Israelites? Now, this word, this, it's, it's very, is a lot, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this. There's a lot happening here in Hebrew. It comes from the Hebrew word that means I exist, okay? And so I am... Basically, what God is trying to communicate in some way or another is I am in response to all the gods in Egypt who are attached to locations or entities or powers. I actually am. I exist. God also says to Moses, and this is verse 15, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So when God refers to himself, he refers to himself as I am first person. When God refers to the Israelites' reference to him, he says he is. So third person, he is. First person, I am. This is a very technical term called the tetragrammaton. It's a, it's a Hebrew nerdy thing. Um, it's all consonants. So in Hebrew, Yah is I am, first person. Yahweh is he is, third person. And he's saying when God says his name, it is Yah. When, when we say it, it is Yahweh. No vowels, no consonants. Y-H-W-H is kind of the, the moniker. But all throughout scripture, whenever you see the Lord in caps, that's what that means. 6,800 times. So more than a word to call someone by, right? It was significant to have the essence and the reputation of a name to go with it. Look at Exodus chapter 20. This is the Ten Commandments. This is not only has God given Moses his name, his essence, okay? But he also tells them not to misuse it. Look at this. You shall not misuse, and some of you remember, maybe in different versions, take the name uh, of, of the Lord in vain, right? The name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, that word misuse in the NIV is actually taking two separate words, which is taking and in vain and putting them together. I actually prefer not the NIV here. So the NIV collapses those together. So the command is to not to take the name in vain, uh, to not take or carry uh, the name in vain. And, and, and what this means is do not attach the name to anything empty. 
Do not use the name in an empty way. And that word vain actually means something that disappoints the hope that rests on it. Okay? So do not put the name to something that will disappoint the hope that rests on it. So in order to honor this command, okay, um, and this is the interesting part, um, in order to honor this command, they stopped using the name altogether. And so throughout uh, the life of the people of Israel, they would call God Ha-Shem or the name. Okay, because they were afraid that if they misused the actual name, that would be bad news. So it's kind of like this. Hypothetically, if someone, hypothetically, if you had a shed in your backyard and the people who built the shed built the doorway shorter than how tall you are, And hypothetically, every once in a while, you ram your head into the top of the door and things come out of your mouth. In a way that might sound like you're taking the Lord's name in vain. I mean, that's the classic idea for us, right? The classic idea is no JCs, no GDs, and we're good. But it's way bigger, and it's way wider, and it's actually way more demanding than that. God gives Moses his name and then says, don't attach anything empty to it. And what what does a name mean? I mean, here's what we're going to see, and we're going to rapid fire through a couple things, and then I promise you in about five minutes we'll get to the point. Because it's Father's Day, and you want donuts. Exodus 23. It says, See, I am sending the angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to a place I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. Okay? So evidently, what we learn is that the name of God can rest on something other than God, Would you agree with that? So the name, show this up on the screen. The name can dwell in a person. The name can dwell in a person. Second one is this, Deuteronomy 12. It says, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling to that place you must go. So according to scripture, not only is the name, the name can dwell in a person, but the name can dwell in a physical place or location. Check out Micah chapter four. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God forever and ever. So evidently, not only is the name, can it rest on a person or be in a place or location, but it also means that it describes a whole way of living, walking in the name. So that literally, if you walk in his name, you walk in the ways and characters, character and purposes of God in the world. And if you walk in a manner inconsistent with his purposes, you are walking in another name. 
Does that make sense? The name is not something you call God, but something much bigger than that. Here's the last one, Ezekiel 36. This one's a little spicy. And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name, which is what? The opposite of hallowing it. For it was said of them, these are the Lord's people, and yet they had, not, they had to leave his land. I had concern for my holy name, which the people of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for, your, but for the sake of my holy name which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. So evidently, the name rests on an entire group of people. This is really powerful stuff. God is judging the Israelites here, and here is his judgment, that they made the name of God common and ordinary, the opposite of hallowed and set apart. They are Yahweh's people, but they are forced out of Yahweh's land. These people are no different. Their God is no different, is basically what they're saying. You have decreased, God says, you have decreased my reputation in the eyes of the world. He said, be holy because I am holy. You are to show the world what I am like. I will reveal myself through you to the world. Now, remember, this is all grace. Okay? This is all grace. God's basically saying to them, and we talked about this in, with adoption language a couple weeks ago. God's saying to them, I rescued you. I rescued you, therefore be holy as I am holy. So you did not, this idea of adoption, you did not get adopted because you behaved a certain way. You, be, you behave a certain way because you are a child of God. You are adopted into the family and you're giving every, given every benefit of that name. So what it's basically saying is live up to that name, the name of that family. So he, he basically this passage says, as you profane my name, you have decreased my reputation in the eyes of the world. What does that mean? So to recap, the name can land on a person. It can be in a physical place or location. It means a whole way of living, and it can rest on an entire group of people. It's pretty powerful stuff. The people called to live up to the name of their God. They were called to live up to the name of their God. And because they haven't, they have actually justified the unbelief of the people around them. This carries over into 1 Peter, carries over into the New Testament. 1 Peter 1, uh, 4 says this, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of, the glo of glory and, and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal. 
or even as a meddler. So stop meddling. However, if you suffer, and this is one of the few times in Scripture that the word Christian is used. However, if you suffer as a Christian, a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. So, if you are an apprentice of Jesus, then you bear his name. You have his name, his etching, his, his, his essence stamped on you. And what is the common exception to following Jesus in our culture? People who call themselves Christians, the people who carry the name and then invalidate it by the way they live. God, to some degree, and I don't know why, entrusts his name and his reputation to those who bear it. His name. Just like children begin to look more and more like their father, that's the the goal here in apprenticeship to Jesus. We become more, we need to become more concerned with the father's reputation than our own. And that's what adoption language is, right? Right? I'm adopted into the family. This family has given me every benefit and every day. Forgiven my debts, I become an heir. I can't be disowned. And I live into that. Look at 1 Peter 2. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. So hallowing God's name isn't really about hitting your head on the shed door and doing a really good job but not to curse. A lot of times what happens in our kind of religiousness is that it lightens the the demands of praying, hallowed be your name. Matthew 5.6, and this is 5.16, this is the last scripture for today. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Okay. So Jesus says, may your name be kept holy. This is how you pray, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Make that the central concern of your prayer. What does it look like to be Holy. What does it look like to keep his name holy? What does that mean? It means not to attach his name to anything empty or, or anything broken or anything common or anything ordinary. So here's the big hairy point for the day. The most empty thing we end up attaching his name to is actually us. We actually end up attaching God's name to us. And we're causing the reputation of Jesus to be profaned among the nations. And we're either doing that or we're, or, or we're causing his name to be enhanced. And who is this command given to? The command is given to those who bear the name. 
The command was not given to the other nations. See, in Exodus, those commands were given to the people of Israel only. It wasn't, hey, Israelites, go on out, go to the Amalekites, go to the Philistines, and make them, make them not bring the Lord's name in vain. Make, push that on them. No, no, no. The command was for the people of Israel because God rested on this people. It's not about them out there, but it's about us in here. That's the idea. Those of us who bear the name. And when did it become acceptable to call ourselves apprentices of Jesus and do whatever we want? This that, that stupid Christian phrase, let's go witnessing. You know, I don't, and I say stupid because I mean it. The idea to go witnessing, right? Like to like go to the mall, you know, or door to door, you know, and go witnessing. Um, it's just kind of a dumb way to say it because here's the thing. You become a witness, okay, the moment you say yes to Jesus. You bear his name wherever you are. You bear his name in cubicle land. You bear his name on the golf course. You bear his name at school. You bear his name at happy hour after work. You bear his name in your neighborhood. It's not something you do, it's who you are, right? And so who are you witnessing to, I think is the question. So are you bearing witness to a God who is close to the brokenhearted? Or another God who, is, who just wants to bless your unfettered accumulation of stuff? Are you a witness to a distinct and holy God or to a God who isn't really holy or distinct and wants to bless any sexual desire you have? Are you uh, witnessing to a God who doesn't care about pride and greed but cares more about the political issues of our day? Maybe you're, uh, do you witness to a God who is risen from the dead? Or do you witness to a God whose work can be hindered or helped depending on who's in the White House? Do you put on display the love you dis- that you've been given and, and generosity that you've been given? Or, or, or do you hold it and hoard it? See, the reason why God doesn't zap us into heaven Remember, we talked about what heaven is and it isn't. The reason why God doesn't zap us out of here is so that we can be a living, breathing billboard to the goodness of God by hallowing his name. Am I growing to bear resemblance to the father that rescued and adopted me? That's the question. N.T. Wright puts it like this. You are to understand that your father's name is to be hallowed or set apart as sacred. Among other things, this means that you trust the father by obeying his commandments and making daily choices in light of, his, in light of this reality. You do not profane your father's name by witnessing to the world around you that he is not who he really is. Namely, the Lord to whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, you are to bear witness to his name by sanctifying it, 
by honoring it and by living in the awe of God every moment of your time sojourn here on earth. Quick little side note. If you've been around here for a while, you know that we do not do marriage series or parenting series. Okay? Um, and if you really want to know the backstory to that, I'll tell you sometime. So this, is as, this next little blip is as close as it gets. Understand this, that regardless, parents, regardless of if you do table devotions and play Bible trivia on Friday night, okay, how you discipline your kids, how you spend your money, how you disagree, argue, and fight, how you use the margins of your time and money towards those who are on the margins, that is what begins to sink into your kids, okay? And there's no punting on this, parents. You can line up every single VBS this summer for your kids to go to. Not only as a way to get rid of them, but just because you want to like force VBS material into their little brains. You can line up every single VBS this summer, but it won't matter unless your life bears his name. It won't matter. Hypothetically, if we were to leave church today and we're driving down the road and I cut you off and you know it's me and you're like, I would expect better from a pastor. That pastor just cut me off. Um, Here's the thing that's really funny about that phrase, expecting better from your pastor. I mean, you don't know me. What's really, I've been reflecting on probably the last two or three months as the whole hype of, um, in pop culture, Game of Thrones has been happening. And, And I've had so many people come up to me and go, oh, it's such a great show. I mean, you shouldn't watch it, Pastor. You shouldn't watch it, but man... And I'm like, what's different from me? You follow Jesus, I follow Jesus. You apprentice Jesus, I follow Jesus. I'm not more special apprentice of Jesus. I'm just a bigger idiot to stand up in front of you and talk about it. I just find that like a really curious phrase. See, we're hardening the American heart towards Jesus when we decide, when we complain about how secular the world is becoming, when it has been the church that's gotten more secular and common and ordinary. It's an interesting thing. Like, what makes you different? The fact that you show up at church on Sunday morning instead of going to brunch? That's it? See, we have ceased keeping the name separate. And Sarah, I want us to feel the weight of what I'm saying. And what does this have to do with prayer? Everything. Because that's where it starts. You see, Jesus is beginning a conversation, an ongoing conversation with his father saying, this is where it starts. This is where I change my loves and my longings. This is where I reset my heart and my life towards what it is 
that God is calling me to. And I want to throw one more thing on the screen. You and I cannot pray, hallowed be your name, or may your name be kept holy, and not mean I am presenting myself as the means for which that prayer is being answered. So when we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, what we're saying is, I'm a part of making that happen with my life. Not just with my empty words. So this morning we're coming to the table and I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite Dan up. He's going to lead us in coming to the table together. And then as we, as we finish um, this morning, um, I'm not going to come back up. Um, Elliot's going to dismiss us. Um, but we're, we're just going to come to the table as a, as a community. Um, and so, Dan, come on up. Let me pray.